Hello and welcome to this special episode of the STEM Untapped podcast. I'm Izzy and today my co-host is Nicole, who is a first year university student studying economics and data science. Hey Nicole, how are you doing? Hi Izzy, I'm doing really well actually, thank you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Really looking forward to this conversation, this is going to be really good. Nicole actually won the opportunity to be on this episode in our October Instagram giveaway. So listeners, keep an eye out for other opportunities like this. We're on Instagram at STEM Untapped. Today, Nicole and I are interviewing Dr. Anne-Marie Maffedon, MBE. Anne-Marie co-founded STEMETS, which is a social enterprise dedicated to inspiring and promoting girls, young women and non-binary folk in the STEM sectors. Good afternoon, Anne-Marie. How are you today? I'm doing all right, Nicole. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, thank you. Anne-Marie, you've obviously done loads of other things, including guest presenting Countdown as arithmetician while Rachel Wiley was on mat leave and writing your book She's in Control, which is a book about how women can take back tech. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey into STEM, please? Yeah, sure. So my journey into STEM started super young. I've always been incredibly curious and always been aware of, I don't know, like problems to be solved. Um, And so my first journeys into STEM were basically kind of playing with devices that we had at home. And so whether it was a washing machine, whether it was what we what we used to have, which were VCR players, we had two TVs in my house, one on top of the other. We'd watch the one at the bottom and my dad would watch the one at the top. But a lot of what we watch would be kind of recordings of either children's TV or kind of just Disney films in general. And so, yeah, I was obsessed with our VCR player for a while. I sat on the computer a lot and got to click on every single thing that we had, whether it was Word, whether it was Access, whether it was Notepad, Solitaire is still... You know, if I'm if I'm on an odd enough PC or device and I Mine spot it, I'll do a yeah. couple of rounds. <laughs> Minesweeper, I never really, it felt too much like luck to me rather than strategic. So it kind of didn't tickle my fancy as much as Solitaire did. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I know. I mean, now looking back, of course, there's a strategy, but yeah. So, so my journey into STEM was that of, just wanting to understand more about how things worked, really, really enjoying understanding like logic of particular things and repeatability of particular things. And then saying, logically, if this works this way, what can we then do or what can we then make or how can we then tweak it? And at that point, I obviously didn't realize it was STEM. I didn't actually didn't know about the existence of STEM until about 11 years ago. But I, I kind of pursued that and kept following that. And, and it was just really fortunate that those things I was playing with at home I could see parallels to what we were doing at school. And as I was like building these connections on how does this work, how does this work, there were elements of it that kind of looked like bits of things that we had at school. And so ended up kind of, yeah, stepping up in math, stepping up in ICT and having this really interesting, I guess you could say, educational journey um, that started off and kicked off my STEM, what has now become my STEM career. But what I didn't know then would be a STEM career that even looked like this. Yeah, it's interesting that, yeah, STEM's always been around, but I suppose we never like named it like we do now. Nicole, did you know that you were getting into STEM? Was that your plan? Actually, initially, no. I feel like compared to Anne-Marie, you kind of seemed like quite set on STEM, but without knowing. But I actually wanted to do law for quite a while. And then I kind of looked at the intersectionality of technology with law, especially with like court cases and stuff. And 
I think I kind of segued into STEM more computer science um, to be specific during the summer of my GCSEs. So I just decided for fun, I was like, oh, why not learn Python? So I just looked on YouTube and did a bunch of tutorials. And I feel like I've just been like continuing with that since. And I just feel like it's such a good skill for everyone to have, especially as technology is is going to dominate um, the rest of our lives. And again, it's like we don't really know what jobs are going to come up in the future. So that will definitely be a core skill that more people will need to have in the future. Exactly. For anyone who's interested in trying out coding, where would you each recommend that they start? Nicole, what, what about you? What's your sort of favourite coding language or the easiest or what do, you, what do you recommend? Well, I started off with Python and then I kind of segued away from it but I know a lot of people do recommend Python as the main one but I did a coding boot camp called Code with Clossy and it's founded by the model Carly Kloss and that was the way how I kind of got into it because I feel like YouTube wasn't really interactive and the coding clubs at school it was basic it was very passive so it'd be the teacher writing code we just copied it and they'd set us off to do a task and it was like well I don't actually understand what's going on but I think coding boot camps really do help and especially like the community behind it is really good so yeah I definitely recommend Code with Clossy and also the web development languages how about you Amory? I would agree I'd agree with a lot of what you said Nicole I think there's something of and and I think it's a tough one to say where folks should start because everybody's different right and everyone cares about different problems cares about different things has different uses I guess for technology and where web might work for folks that I don't know trying to solve certain type of problem or online a lot there are a lot of people who aren't and so Python or Ruby or like there are all, there are lots of different or even SQL if you're working a lot with data because you know there are folks that just do that all day every day for their whole careers and their whole lives. And that's fully a thing that you can feed your family with. So I think with anybody, it's one is kind of playing about with what you end up learning, but be a bit like Nicole, is everyone will go on a journey of where they learn best. And I think this is why I run STEMETS. This is why we have all the hackathons and all the sessions that we do where you can come and try it in an environment that's supportive and where we kind of assume nothing. And if you come with something, then we're able to build on that. But also, like Nicole said, you're able to get that kind of interaction if that's the way that you learn. But there are loads of folks that I've met who have learned things from YouTube, learned things from online tutorials, learned things from trial and error. I learned in kind of my early web dev that I was doing, I literally would just, I mean, I still do it till today. You just go view source in the browser to have a look at what, they, what they've got. And you're like, oh, okay, cool. So where that word was like that, I'm going to search for that word. And if you don't find that word, you try and figure out if it's an image, and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And you kind of almost reverse engineer. And so I learned a lot by doing that because you see what's possible with other folks. And then you try and do it on your end and you see why it's different. And then, you know, you unpick it. And we've got so many tools today that make that easier. Whereas I used to literally be in notepad control effing to find like the snippet of that thing um and then having my own scrapbook of code and and there's and there's all these things and everybody's different I think that's the that's the other joy and the other benefit that you have now is everyone's different that I met someone who was actually trying to learn he was trying to teach himself chemistry using chat gpt and built like a whole like syllabus and then it would quiz him and all the rest of that kind of stuff and so I think it's it's actually really important, you know, as much as it's important to have a cross, cross-disciplinary approach, it's also important to kind of get to learn how you learn because this isn't going to slow down. Like I would have been in probably HTML2 or HTML3 when I started and we're now on HTML5 and Python also is also always versioning. So it's also that it's not just learn once and then you're set for life. It's like, no, actually you want to, you need to be in that continual learning loop. 
And so whether it's hacks, whether it's tutorials, whether it's boot camps, like whatever it is there might be, and I'm sure there'll be new versions that come up, you know, whether it's the next semester event, you know, whatever it might be, like keep dipping in and out. And and we have that as part of our model as well. We, it's not that you come to Stemets and you have to be there every day with us for every event, but it's like every couple of years that you'll come along and there'll be something new that you see. We've built chatbots before, we've built voice assistants, apps, like the whole, the whole set. And there'll be some things you see are similar and there'll be other things that you're like, actually, this is quite different. And this is a cool new thing that might end up applying somewhere else in life that isn't, I wouldn't even think is programming. I know, Nicole, you wanted to talk a bit about, or at least we talked a bit in advance about gender and ethnicities and how how tech is affecting that. I think kind of on like facial recognition as well, especially as like a woman of colour and especially you yourself being like a black female. I've like seen the Coded Bias Netflix documentary mm-hmm. by Joy Bolamwini. Bolamwini, yeah. Bolamwini. And it just made me think about like the data that's fed into algorithms. And I also did a Nuffield research placement in year 12 about facial recognition and just seeing and like reading articles about people with a darker complexion not being recognized and it taking longer for phones to unlock. It really begs you to question like, oh, where is this data being fed into and what is being fed into it? And it's kind of like this negative loop on that so what are your thoughts about it and do you feel like there is a way for us to go forward at a quicker pace to actually resolve this issue so there are ways for us to go forward at a quicker pace but i think on a lot of this we have to rewind and ask ourselves why like why are we doing this to what end and is it the only way to do it and also the data that we do have why has it been collected in the first place who has collected it and under what direction really you know there's so much where black women haven't mattered and don't don't matter in a lot of places and a lot of spaces and even though it's not necessarily always overt it's something that you know they've ended up being left off ended up being forgotten ended up being confused for others because they're just not you know that if if you're defining humanity there's a certain set of use cases and test cases that you're going to use to test and there's others that you're just you just don't deem important enough and so i see a lot of that coming through and we have to ask ourselves why is that but also how do we fill in? Because that's bigger than the technical problems we're trying to solve. That's just something that we've had societally. That's something that we've had in the way that we've set up, you know, organizations, set up countries, considered customer bases, right? You'd have had this in the beauty industry for so long. Being able to find find a foundation that matched for me has has been, you know, the longest journey. And it's still something now that I end up having to just try different makeup things because I'm like, I don't know what this is going to look like or not look like on my skin because they wouldn't have considered, wouldn't have tested and wouldn't have thought that I'm worth, you know, my money is is worth it really to develop certain products. There's another example I always end up giving that I, I spoke about in the book actually of weddings and marriage. So in our marriage register, chances were that your mother's occupation wasn't part of that register. So ask what your dad did, ask for your parents' names and what your dad did, but never ask what your mum did. Um, and it's only recently that I was so that annoyed something... when I had right? to tell that why. Yeah, I was and... like... Why? Exactly. And and my best mate doesn't know her dad, so put her mum's occupation as her dad's occupation, which Lord knows what's that's what that's done for the data set, right? But it's a really interesting one that that's just something we haven't collected. Right. And and it wasn't, I don't know if we want to say it's a particular person's fault, but it's just the way that things were. And so if we're going to use that information, because we always look back with data, we 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 don't really get to look forward. We can predict and we can do the stochastic or statistical or whatever analysis and look forward, but actually the data we really haven't collected is of what's happened before. How do we reflect on 
the inequalities that we had already and how that then gets seen in the data that's going forward and whether that is the only way or whether that is the primary way that we should be reviewing, rating, recommending, restricting things going forward. Um, so I think, you know, the documentary is a fantastic start, but, you know, you can follow. So Joy runs something called the Algorithmic Justice League. And it's something you can, again, sign up to as a newsletter. You can follow on socials or the rest of it to understand what's going on now. But I think there's also something of, you know, do we have to be counted? Should we be counted? Should we be feeding into these systems if they're still going to make those decisions because of the way that power works, right? And power structures are maintained. If they're still going to make those decisions that then aren't in the interests of folks who are away from that default norm that you're talking about, Izzy. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of a kind of a two ways about it. Um, the other thing that I, I always do end up saying, though, is that more than ever, as we go forward and as we continue to build and create, we are creating globally. And so it's something I end up talking to companies quite a lot about, which is if you're not valuing the black women or the women of color or the folks who are different in whatever way it might be in your organization, by the time your technology, the norms, the assumptions, the basis in it ends up leaving your society, leaving your sphere, leaving your aura, are you going to end up creating more harm in another place or are you going to future proof the decisions that you're making so that then you can reflect that and you can grow your market? And if you want to make more money, make more money. But if you really want to solve more problems, solve the problems of more people. And so by ignoring me here, that means that there's a whole continent of me's that you might then end up missing out on who, let's face it, are also part of humanity, also might have some spending power, also might have that condition that you're trying to solve, right? And so how do we do things in a way that's not, and then there's a whole conversation about kind of decolonizing things, but how do we do things in a way that is not about taking and cleaning out and overusing resources, but in, is it done in a way that's generative, done in a way that promotes well-being? done in a way that prevents growth for humans and and uh, supports humanity and allows humani- humans to be more human rather than just thinking about productivity all the time, right? And trying to get folks to kind of fit into a particular box so you can rate, review, recommend and restrict them. I think like the lack of perspective is so important, especially with technology. For example, like Elon Musk, he's like a massive figure in technology and just the world nowadays. Like, I feel like I see so many Teslas on the street and just like him and his like innovation in space. How do you think this really impacts like the minds of young women and non-binary folk and just like young people in general in trying to break barriers to get into the tech space? So I'm in two minds about him. I'm not I'm not Elon Musk's biggest fan. I think there's something interesting, though, about so much of what he does that is that comes from his formative experiences. So what he saw and what he did as a child, but also so much of it that he kind of credits sci-fi with. And it's something I end up talking with folks quite a lot about, which is this idea of kind of our imaginations and our story and our perspectives. It's important not just to note and write down and kind of keep our own history and our own histories, but also it's important to imagine, right? To explore and to maybe write that down, like, what would it look like? What do you think it looks like 50 years into What do you hope it looks like? What are you afraid of it looking like 50 years into the future? What's your vision of what could be next? Because you never know who might end up reading that, how well you might do at it, and what you might inspire to kind of create. So I end up saying this to, to older audiences, but there was there used to be a show in the 1980s called Knight Rider, and David Hasselhoff played this character called Michael. And in the 1980s, it was such this wild thing that this character called Michael had a car called Kit and he talked to the car, which in the 1980s was like the weirdest thing for you to do to talk to an inanimate object, right? But he talked to the car 
And the car would not only hear him, but it'd understand him and they'd successfully fight crime together. And in the 1980s, that was like only in Hollywood. Like, why would you, how would, how would, who would ever have a car that would hear them, right? And Izzy, you're subscribed to Caroline's newsletter. So you'll have heard of like, obviously what the reality of that looks like, which is basically that the car, cars don't hear women in 2023, you know, spoiler alert, right? But it's still a thing that we now have. And there's so much of that that has happened because folks have read it being like, oh my goodness, wouldn't that be cool? Let's try it. Why don't we do natural language processing? Now we have to work out text-to-speech. Now we have to work out speech-to-text. Now we have to work out, now we have to work out. Now, and now I can order, you know, if I want to be naughty, I can say, hey, Alexa, let's order toilet roll. And there'll be listeners whose toilet rolls are now going to turn up at their house in the next couple of days because I've spoken to the Alexa through <laughs> the medium of this podcast. Yeah. And it's so fascinating how many things that it's like, imagine if, like, have you... It's something I'm always, and we get it to Mets. We, we've got our vision season on at the moment as well. And it's like, just imagine, like, what would you hope for? What would you want to explore? What would you like to see? Because there's so many folks that, again, work in this space where that sci-fi and their own imagination is the boundaries of what they can do. And again, so much of the discussions we've had about AI killing us or folks getting really worried is because they don't have that imagination. They've not seen an alternative of, I don't know, endometriosis exists. And why don't we imagine putting JustGPT on that? rather than using it to build weapons that hurt people, you know? And there's all this stuff. So I think it's important for folks to recognize that so much of this is from hard work, of course, on the courses and the subjects and doing your learning, but so much of it is in prioritization. So much of it is in understanding of problems. So much of it is in our hopes and our fears and our aspirations that then drive research that can be done, innovation that can be built, fields that end up starting up, fields that end up closing, fields of study that end up being extended. And so my hope would be that for young women and non-binary folk, where we haven't been represented necessarily in that thinking and that discourse, that we can take this time to take back tech and step into these spaces where, you know, the nature of the problems, the nature of the solutions, we can evolve in quite a big way because now our perspective is there where it just hasn't been. We were saying about sci-fi and I've read that Elon Musk has sort of, he read Hitchhiker's Guide and maybe that's that's where he's getting his his version of ideas for AI and stuff like that. And I agree with you that they could, you know, our world could be different if he had been influenced by different things. But have you got any recommendations of of some some good sci-fi or some interesting sci-fi that, you know, budding entrepreneurs could listen to and maybe be influenced by in 10, 20 So years? there's one that I would recommend that came out this year called Edge of Here, and it's by Colette Giocafor. And it's her first sci-fi book, but it's really interesting it's a series of short stories and some of them are tied together and some of them aren't. And I almost, I'm trying to kind of hesitate because I don't want to spoil it, but it's really interesting. This idea of there are some, some bits of it that would feel familiar and there are other bits that feel a little bit left field and feel a bit astrological uh, and astronomical or whatever the word is that you want to use. But you know, it's got, it's got things that feel very now, but also feels very futuristic and also things that feel a little bit black mirror, but there's a different shade to it um and some of them stopped sh- very short which i've said to her already she needs to she used to do volume two and volume three so we could see what happens next um but there, there was also an anthology released by dot everyone a couple of years ago which ne- whose name escapes me that i'm sure if you kind of dread through the internet you'll be able to find it and that was again a, a comp that was an anthology of, of short sci-fi stories written by female authors so yeah so there's a couple but I, th- I think it's just one of those ones where it's like keep reading and, and also remember that sci-fi isn't didn't start with frankenstein which again is a kind of a misconception that folks have. So I was talking to Kalechi about this actually at, on a panel at Cheltenham Lit Festival, but I think it's, it's Odysseus or something. One of them has a driverless car in it. Like the Greeks imagined driverless, sat and driverless cars. Oh, did they? Oh, wow. I mean, they obviously didn't use those words. 
And so I think it's one of those ones where humans have always imagined, and it's it's so interesting to see who has imagined what and what happens when you give when you allow other people to imagine, and where they go. And I feel again that that's not necessarily something that we've been afforded to. So there's so much, there's almost so much space that we can take up as women and as folks that haven't been part of that dominant dominant minority in just colouring in life a little bit more, right? Like expressing more things, exploring more things, understanding more things. So it's the space right for the right for the picking. Nicole, is there anything that you'd recommend listening to or reading or watching? I feel like I'm not actually like a non-fiction person or like a sci-fi person. I would have recommended Invisible Women, but I also think another book that's really accessible is Hannah Fry's um, Hello World. I read those both at similar times and I just thought I could see a lot of overlap between them and it just makes you just think about the world. Izzy, do you have any final questions? Yeah. So as you know, our listeners are teens and they're starting their STEM journey. So Anne-Marie, what advice would you give to your teen self? (laughs) There's always two versions of this. The one I'd actually give to Anne-Marie is take yourself more seriously because I never have and I'm still struggling (laughs) to do it now. And I feel like there's you y'all ain't seen nothing yet. Like if I actually took things seriously. Do you think you'd be the same person if you if if you'd listened to that advice as a teenager? Who knows? I mean I didn't and I'm here and it's not gone that badly. But I don't know. I feel there's I feel like there's a lot of times where I can be in very, very serious spaces and then I just say what I want to say in a very unserious way. <laughs> and the point still gets across, but it's like actually if I was gonna be, you know, like fully like who knows, I could be prime minister if I was so much more serious about particular things you know <laughs> um so that's that's the advice I give to myself but the advice I give to teenagers maybe Amory now would be don't do these things alone that would, that would yeah. be my main thing like as much as so much of you learn it's so much of what you learn at school so much of what you do in your degree or in other places is definitely reliant on you knowing the knowledge and you having it when you get out into the real life like I, I have a team of 20 running stamets right? I can't do that. Like Sometimes we have events in multiple locations at the same time. And so the idea that this is just about what I know is nonsense. And yeah. it's, it's taken me to start working to realize that I have to be able to talk to other human beings, communicate with them, trust them and understand them to some extent in order for things to really happen. And so it's like, get into that habit as soon as you can get into that habit of working with others and seeing things through rather than it being purely about being that lone ranger because you go nowhere and actually a lot of the stories we tell about stem lone rangers are nonsensical because no one is a lone ranger we're all building on existing knowledge having peers having colleagues and having others that are in our research groups right or in our teams or colleagues or working alongside us on campaigns or projects or whatever it might be Amri, i don't know if you had any questions that you wanted to ask nicole before we um what's the biggest piece of support that you wish you had more of as someone that's looking into this space that actually makes really good decisions, you know, I'm going to say it again, Nicole, you make, make great decisions. Mm-hmm. What more input or support or help could you, do you think you'd love to have from either Stemets or just in general? I feel like I've tried to dip my toes into a lot of different like supercurricular stuff to do with STEM. I feel like I'm someone who kind of just is like, why not? And I do try to do it, like do the iterative process. Um, but just, being able to have like more mentors and maybe just have like a bigger community. I feel like I've met so many incredible young women and non-binary folk already, but just maybe if I like met people in real life, that could make it seem more tangible because through the Code with Clossy coding camps, they're all virtual because most of them are based in America. So just being able to actually like have that community in person would definitely really help. And I think STEMETs is like 
a massive way to do that with your podcast and also like the hackathons especially just like the buzz of being in a hackathon is just amazing so yeah just that electric feeling I just want to meet people noted we'll keep going then thanks Nicole that's what, that's what I need <laughs> so Amory thank you so much for talking to us today and Nicole your questions were brilliant thank um, you I could just left you do it really Amory where can our listeners find out more about you and what you do and STEMX so best place would be across socials or on our website and STEMX is spelled S for sugar, T for tango, E for echo, M for mother, E for echo, T for tango, T for tango, E for echo, S for sugar. Because uh, I know there's extra M's and T's that folks uh, end up adding in. Um, but yeah, if you search Girls in STEM UK, I guess we come up high enough. And we've got the STEMET zine, we've got our socials, we've got our newsletters. Like you said, we've got the podcast. There's lots and lots of resources that we have out for folks. Um, but to Nicole's answer to my question, there are events that we're constantly putting on. We've got our STEMET society. So as long as you're you're connected in, then yeah, we're always doing always doing meets and greets, hybrid and virtual across the UK. Thanks for listening to this episode of the STEM Untapped podcast. If you liked this episode, you can subscribe for free on your podcast app. You can also find more from us on Instagram at STEM Untapped and our website untappedinnovation.com forward slash STEM hyphen untapped. See you next time. <laughs>